buy my ticket for the long way round Two bottles of whiskey for the way And I sure would like some sweet company And I'm leaving tomorrow, what do you say? Welcome to What She Said on 105.9 The Region. I'm your host, Candace Sampson. Well, we are midway through September, and just as some kids are actually starting school, some are already being sent home across Canada, making this officially the messiest back-to-school year ever. So whatever you're doing today, I hope you're relaxing and enjoying the weekend. And just as a quick reminder, tomorrow is Grandparents' Day, so please make sure you call your grandparents and tell them you love them, especially if you've been socially distanced from them for a while. So sit back now, though, and enjoy today's show. I have an incredible lineup of women. Uh, Right now, we are witnessing an epidemic of mental health issues across Canada. And while it's not ideal, at least it's happening at a time when speaking openly about mental health struggles are pretty much widely accepted and support is available. That was not always the case, as my first guest, Olympic medalist Elizabeth Manley, shares. Her bravery in sharing her story publicly has helped pave the way for others to step out from the shadows and seek help without shame. Parenting a teen can be challenging at the best of times. Add in a global pandemic and it can be completely overwhelming. Parents and teens across the country are struggling with the new norm, which is why I'm so excited to be welcoming Allie Payne to the show as a regular contributor. Allie is here to bring both sides together, not to pick a side, and I know you'll love her no-nonsense, yet completely empathetic approach. Who would have thought back in January that the number one fashion accessory would be a face mask? Yet here we are in September 2020, and everybody is looking to accessorize with one. Alex Tom started making masks in the early days of the pandemic as a way to help friends and family stay safe. But her grassroots business has exploded in popularity lately, and I think you'll love her cheeky and compassionate business model. Next, is it appropriation or appreciation? That can be a difficult concept to grasp for some, but I think after you hear my segment with Amy Willer from Moonstone Creation, you'll know the difference and be ready to rock some incredible native fashion this fall. Anne Brody is off to the entertainment races with the kickoff of TIFF, and she's more more than a little irritated with some of the theaters, so you'll want to turn tune in to find out why. She also has reviews of TIFF movies and new releases that you won't want to miss this week. Finally, who's the boss? You're the boss, of course, especially after you hear my interview with Jocelyn Morin Nurse, who joins me to share the key differences between being a boss leader and a bossy leader. Once you know the difference, you'll be ready to lead your team to success. Thanks for joining me today. Let's get rolling with what she said right now on 105.9 The Region. You're gonna miss me by my walk. You're gonna miss me by my talk. Oh, you're gonna miss me when I'm gone. I'll be your shelter. I'll be your armor. I hear whisper underneath your A recent study out of McMaster suggests that up to 60% of parents displayed at least some symptoms of clinical depression recently, and that women in particular have been especially hard hit. Olympic medalist Elizabeth Manley battled a deep depression at a time when mental health carried a very heavy stigma. Today, Elizabeth is a mental health advocate, proud supporter of the 2020 virtual run for women, and certified life coach and entrepreneur coach, motivating, inspiring, and helping others reach their full potential. She joins me today to share details of the upcoming run for women and the importance of destigmatizing mental health discussions. Welcome to the show, Elizabeth. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's such a pleasure to have you here. Um, So I really want to start, though, with your struggles with mental health, because it really was at a time we weren't talking about it so openly. Um, So tell me a little bit bit about your journey with that. Well, um, you know, a lot of people know my story because I've been very open and very candid about what I went through. But I was 16 years old, and what's interesting is I didn't realize I was going through a depression and I think women are like that they don't realize it we get so caught up in what we're doing and what we're expected to do and everything that um, 
my body physically told me. And when I was 16 years old, I was training in the US for my, you know, my Olympic debut, I, I, I would say at the time, but I ended up, um, my body just completely broke down. I lost all my hair. I gained about 50 pounds in water retention. I couldn't even get my skates on. And I remember being picked up and it was, I was in Lake Placid, which is only about three hours away. But I remember my mom coming down and my mom crying all the way home because she, you know, blamed herself for letting me go to the US at 16 years old and training. And she thought it was all her fault. And I went from specialist to specialist in Ottawa. And it wasn't until I got to about the important specialist, the one, because everyone else was testing me for everything. That was the day I was diagnosed with depression, anxiety, as well as having a nervous breakdown. And I ended up quitting skating. Um, and in those days, as you were just saying, the stigma of any kind of mental health was at its highest. And it was just too difficult for me to, you know, financially be able to afford help, to reach out for that help. There was very few um, availabilities out there for me to get help as well. We didn't have the money. And, you know, in those days, OHIP didn't carry stuff and, you know, things like that. And I remember um, very sadly sitting in my bedroom that night. Um, I, I ended up quitting skating. Um, and, you know, I, I'm very open about saying this now. I may not have been a few years ago because of the reaction I got when I came out with it. People weren't ready to have Canada Sweetheart and mental health in the same sentence. And, you know, I was that 16-year-old girl sitting in my room with the door closed and really contemplating how people would be so much better without me and that I had just caused so many problems for people, my family. Um, I thought my life was over without skating. So you can imagine that dark place that I went into when I was diagnosed and realizing I couldn't afford any help. Um, and then I was blessed. Someone did call my mom and offered to work with me pro bono because they really believed in me. They really saw something um, powerful in me. And I, I remember saying no the first time because I really believed in the state I was in that no one could help me. And I think a lot of people feel that way. They keep it inside because they really don't think anyone can help them. And for my mother, I actually went for an appointment and that turned into 10 more, turned into 100 more, turned into four years. And then, you know, there's a fairy tale. I, I overcame so much and then won the Olympic medal four years later from quitting skating to being 50 pounds with water retention, bald, everything. Um, and, but I do have to share with you the interesting thing about reaching out and getting that help was we realized that about 80% of what I was going through had nothing to do with skating. And we all thought it was. We all thought it was just too much pressure for me to represent an entire country at 16 years old. And, um, but it was a lot of things. It was a lot of personal things. And, you know, I was trained to keep my feelings inside because then, you know, our, my competitors would see a weakness in me and they could feed off that. So, you know, in the 80s especially, athletes were really trained to just do their job and not show any kind of emotions. And that wasn't a good thing for me. When you came out then of this on the other side, yeah. and, and you know, there is that sort of, uh, when you can look back on it, you get this clarity. Uh, so when you did come out on the other side of this, what prompted you to want to go public with this? I really think it's because I didn't see it happening to myself. Like I, I just, I didn't see what was going on and I didn't listen to myself. I didn't take care of myself. And there was a side of me that really wanted to help others understand that it's okay. You know, someone like Elizabeth Manley is going through it. And it was very early. It was in the 80s when I tried to come public with it. And, you know, I, I'm not being, you know, angry or sad about it, but it was really brushed under the carpet. People weren't ready. They didn't want to hear about it. And I felt like I, I felt sad because I wanted to help others. I wanted other teenagers to know, you know, that you can get better. You can. Now, I, I'm not going to sugarcoat this and say that I'm completely healthy. You really don't get rid of depression, but you learn how to deal with it and you learn what the signs are. And you really, you really get to that realization that it's okay to get help. 
and to go to programs or to, you know, go to a therapist and everything. And I still do. I mean, five, six years ago, I went through a very rough time. I lost my mom, my father, my marriage and a baby all in the same year. And um, within a couple of years, I mean, and I found myself just going right back down again, crying all the time, just, you know, I was acting. And that's the big thing with mental health is we act. And um, I found myself going back for help again. And, and I realized one of the biggest questions I get is would I ever turn the clocks back? You know, would I ever have done the sport? Well, you know, maybe that was what triggered it. Mm-hmm. And I can honestly say it was probably the best thing that ever happened to me because I learned a lot about myself and, and, and I learned a lot about my soul and my passions and, and, and everything and, and realized that I'm not alone. And there's yeah. many people out there. And, um, and I think it's just talking to somebody can change your life. It really can. So let's talk a little bit about Run For Women then, because right now mental health, obviously mental health issues are huge, really, uh, you know, highlighted that, but also donations to charities are down. So tell me about Run For Women and how people can get involved and the importance of it. Well, the Run for Women is uh, very close to my heart. I do a lot of work with the Royal Ottawa in Ottawa. And um, it's just, it's a great event because these charities are really hurting for funding because of the pandemic and everything that's going on. They're not able to run a lot of their programs. And and it's been really difficult on patients and clients of, you know, these organizations that help support them through their mental health issues. And this is a virtual walk. And it's great because you could just walk out your front door and walk around the block a few times with your dog or your family. And for $40, you can register at, at runforwomen.ca and you get, I, and I'm not lying, you get the most amazing $100 swag bag from Shoppers Drug Mart, who's the big you know, sponsor of this. When I got it, I was like, wow, this is great. This is worth the walk in itself. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, that's the, uh, lo- it's the Love You program, right? By Shoppers? Yes. yes. And the, the great thing about it is not only having an amazing, you know, sponsorship beside it, but being a nationwide event, everybody can be involved. Um, I'm trying to push for people to join my team. <laughs> my team is called Skate Lace to Shoe Lace. So if anybody wants to join my team, but the, but the part about it is, you know, it's sad because of the pandemic that we can't do a big group you know, type walk. So this is a little easier, I think, for people. It's a virtual walk. You can do it on your own. Just get your registration, get your swag bag, and then just go out and do it on your own. And it is for such an amazing cause. And as you said earlier, you know, women just need the support right now with everything that's going on. Is there a specific day this happens? This is on September 27th. So I think registration closes on September 17th. So you might want to get in there quick. And uh, like I said, Join my team. We'll have lots of fun. I'm going to video myself doing it and, you know, talk to all my teammates and things like that. But, you know, women today, as you as you can imagine, women in a normal life don't take care of themselves enough because everyone else is before them, their family, their children, their husbands, everything like that. And, you know, it's really important that we you know, when you add the pandemic onto women's lives right now, that we have these programs available for them to reach out for help. And that's what I do even as a life coach. You know, I'm working with a lot of clients right now that are really struggling. And, you know, it's just keeping them keeping them motivated and going for their passions and understanding. And that's what the programs that all the, all the different organizations across Canada for the women's mental health is, um, is providing that for women today. Okay, wonderful. Well, we're going to put all those links up then on the video that will go out on social. And thank you so much for joining me today, Elizabeth. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. And enjoy the uh, river. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I will rescue you. Stick around. More What She Said with Candace Sampson coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. Parenting teens can be challenging at the best of times. Throw in a stress-inducing global pandemic and it's downright overwhelming. That's why I'm so excited to welcome Allie Payne to what she said for a regular segment that will be offering parents and teens a way to connect and get through this moment stronger than ever. Welcome to the show, Allie. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. 
I'm so excited to have you. So I found you via TikTok uh, when one of your videos went viral. But for yes. those listening, let's share with me why you are uniquely qualified to help parents and teens. And I and I really just want to stress here for a second that you're here to help both sides. You're not here to take sides. Absolutely. So well said. Thank you. Um, so I am a retired teenager. Um, and I came from a home with a great deal of pain and dysfunction. Um, not because my parents are terrible people. I was just literally, if there was like a stereotypical black sheep, that was me. And it created, created a ton of strife for all of us. And it's taken me years to be, um, in a place where I can say that I'm healed and that I, I can look forward and help other families. I also went back to school and took my life coaching certification, relationship coaching certification, has been working with relationships, helping them uh, move through dysfunction for 14 years now. And so uh, you're right, I'm not for, I can advocate for teens because I remember what it was like to be that teen and I remember what I so wanted to hear and wanted to happen. And I'm a parent of two teenage boys. So I'm putting my experience on both sides. If anything, I would say I stand for the relationship. That's a, that's a great way of putting it. So, and, and you and I have discussed sort of, you know, uh, not on the radio, but about how this moment in time is quite unique and really is very stressful. Yes. So let's, let's dive into back to school right now, because I think that is what most parents and teens are going to be struggling with right now is that back to school. So how do we best deal with this so that we're not, at each other's throats all the time. Yeah, I think this is a really emotionally heightened state for a lot of teenagers. And let me explain that. Um, their world has turned upside down. And again, I'm not saying parents hasn't, but, but parents have a bit more context of life to put on that. Teenagers do not. They, their world as they knew it does not exist. And the fact that they don't know how much longer this is going to go on is anxiety provoking, it can very induce a situational depression. And schooling on top of that, whether they've gone back to school in person, or they are schooling from home, it's still not normal. It's not the way it was. And so as parents, I think the most critical thing that we can do is be in conversation with our children. And let me be clear about what that looks like. It does not look like an interrogation on the daily of, well, how do you feel? Well, how do you feel? Tell me how you're feeling. Why are you? It's not that. It's not that. I know they're hiding in their rooms. I know they're spending too much time on tech. I know they're out of sorts. So it doesn't do any good to interrogate. What helps is the invitation to say how you are feeling first. I feel so sad. I can't see my friends. I don't, I'm finding it hard working from home. I miss going to the office or I, you know, I'm so tired of another zoom meeting. I can't imagine how you feel with all the zoom education. You got to reach out and you got to meet your children in the middle by starting the conversation and modeling. This is what it looks like to share what's true for me. What does it look like to be true for you? And number two, do not solve your teenager. Stop trying to solve them because unless you can solve this whole pandemic, you're not solving them. So when you're asking them, I need you to be less concerned about their answer and more concerned about their engagement in the conversation because you cannot fix this. The anxiety and depression will be alleviated through a lot more conversation of expressing themselves. But this whole back to school thing is, a, is another part of the conversation because it, you know, what do their grades look like? What are, like... <laughs> Well, I think that that's where, you know, the, the struggle comes in is that we, parents are still falling back on the old fallback of, you need to have grades, you need to get into university, you need of to course. hit these milestones of that course. a year ago were very much in place. And now it seems like the milestones have fallen off. So I think parents are grappling with a little bit of worry that their children are going to fall behind, that their mental health is suffering. Yes. Um, and so... It's, it's, it's not, maybe not just, it's, maybe it's not trying to solve them, but maybe it's, um, it's trying to make sure that they don't, um, fall into a pit maybe of despair. Mm -hmm. uh, Absolutely. How do, we, how do we keep them motivated yes. uh, without solving them? 
Right. And, and I love your point because we as parents can be a little bit too contextualizing because of our experience in life. And we have this non-global pandemic set of expectations, right? right? And we're like, yeah, yeah, there's a pandemic, but uh, Johnny, you still need to like, you still got to get these grades. And, and it's not, it doesn't work anymore right now. Um, I think that we as parents need to loosen up a little bit of our expectations for our child because they are doing life in a way that they certainly wouldn't have chosen. Maybe for the introverts, I honor that some of them are introverts and they love this and some of them are extroverts and they hate it. Um, but we have to be careful of our expectations and the motivation I think is about letting them know that even through this, even with schooling looking differently, they can still succeed. We're just going to make it up as we go. We're going to talk about it. We're going to see what does success look like, particularly sporting kids who can't play sports. Gee, I don't know what you're looking for if you're going for a scholarship then. What does it look like if you're trying to go into engineering but you can't do projects? Like, We have to be in conversation with what's important to them and what feels like it's missing because they're in a, a, um, like a stuck phase of grieving and if we don't get into the muck with them in that conversation, we can't help motivate them. You can't get motivated when you're stuck in grief. So we've got to get, help get them through that and normalize it and validate them so that then we can talk to them about what kind of school goals could we have this year? What will it look like if you're working from home or you're going to school? And involve them in that instead of trying to place our non-pandemic expectations on them, which isn't real. Okay, excellent. Well, we're, we're going to be getting into this conversation deep over the next few weeks, but um, I do want to point parents who are listening to a group you have on Facebook that I think is, is very helpful. So if you just want to maybe uh, share that with them right now, uh, and we'll Absolutely. put it up on the video. For sure. Um, in response to just the um, incredible outcry at the whole start of this, as well as parenting being hard as it is, I created um, a private group. It's called Finding Our Way. You can check it out at alipain.com forward slash finding our way and uh, or it's a learn more button off my my Facebook page, which we'll put the link to. So, okay, wonderful. We'll share that on social. Thanks so much, Ali. I look forward to seeing you again in a couple of weeks. You bet. You too. must-have fashion accessory of 2020 is most definitely the mask, and trendsetters have been sharing their fun and fashionable face coverings all over social media. Joining me now is Alex Tom, who is a little bit of a lot of things. A single mom, first and foremost, a writer and blogger at idontblog.ca, a project manager at a boutique graphic design agency, and the owner of Clippo Masks, a company started at a very grassroots level to help as many people as possible be safe, but has recently seen explosive growth. Welcome to the show, Alex. Thank you. I am loving your mask. I'm following along on social. Uh, but the reason I invited you on the show is because I saw you post something um, about you hiring a group of women uh, and you were paying yes. them $18 an hour, which is incredible. Yeah. So I started sewing masks at the beginning of the pandemic. I had an old sewing machine sitting here because I ran a company that made kids accessories years ago and I shut it down. And then when everybody needed a mask, I started making these little fabric face coverings and donating them. And it was very rewarding. But as things go and time moves along, people started asking me to sell them. And so I bought some cute fabrics and started making them at home. Uh, it's not sustainable to be working 20 hour days. So I put a call out locally and I was able to find a whole pile of really amazing sewists, um, women that are in the Durham region and able to work on the sewing of these awesome face masks. I know. And that's what I love about them is that you, you're very, your sense of humor in general is very cheeky and you've, you've yeah. carried that over to the masks, uh, which is, and you call them, um, mouthy 
Mouthy masks? Mouthy masks, that's right. I mean, some of them are a little less safe for work than these. This is actually one of my favorite ones, um, our Be Kind mask. Some of them have swear words on them and other images that um, my mom doesn't really approve of. But I figure if you're going to wear a mask, you might as well make it fun. And you might as well show your personality with sure. that, right? Yeah. So we do them in limited runs of fabric too. And all of our fabrics are independent artist designed and imported from the U.S. actually. So it helps an artist on the other side. And then it's not a mass produced mask. So you're getting something that you're probably not going to run into 10 people on the street that are wearing the same one. Kind so of I want to highlight something else you're doing because I think this is incredible as well. You, you, you just recently did a mask for Black Lives Matter. And right. in, in uh, return, you donated to Black Lives Matter. So you're doing this with right. a number of charities, correct? That's right. So the artist that designed that, and her name is escaping me right now, um, she had designed it and she's a black artist in the US and she also has a vibrant graphic design um, business that I'm going to have to get to. But she, she says so that she benefits her. And then we made a donation of $5 from every one of those patterns sold to Black Lives Matters Toronto. Um, to help the local chapter. So that's one of the biggest things with Clippo masks is that I would really like for it to be a benefit to other organizations and other groups that need it and other charities so that we can give back as well. So we're not just helping people protect themselves. We're also feeding back into those economies that need a little bit of a boost, especially right now when donations are so down and groups need help. Yeah. And I think too, you know, it's it, the, the fun thing about your story is that, you know, I've been doing a lot of these interviews and really hearing about the impact on women. And it's really good to see a, a female led business employing females with, yeah. you know, a great, uh, a great income, uh, you know, and also that gives back. I mean, this is really just a nice full circle business that you've, that you've kicked off here. I'm really proud of it. And I'm really proud of the women that do the work for me. I felt that there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of small work that can be found and none of it's going to pay the bills. So it was very important that if you're going to sit down and you're going to sew a mask for me that I, I do pay piecework, but I ask every employee, I know how many I can do in an hour. I ask every employee to time themselves as well to ensure that they're never making anything less than $18 an hour. Many are making a whole lot more. I'm a really slow sewer. So if you can sew, you know, up to the standard of what we want to sell and you're faster then all the more power to you. So it's very important to me that I give somebody some meaningful work that's also flexible. You don't need to come over to my house. I drop all the materials off for them and they can complete the work on their own schedule. So were you surprised by how, how quickly this, this business grew? I mean, I know that you had Clippo yeah. before, but then when you restarted it, were you surprised by how quickly it took off? I was very surprised. I thought that I could sew a few masks every night and everything would be great. Um, I am weeks behind. So I, I was playing catch up constantly. It's, uh, it's amazing. And I feel very honored. I'm really proud of the work that, that we're doing. And we're constantly making the masks that we have better. So that at the beginning, I just had this flat mask that was sort of one size. Um, and then feedback from my customers who are all very patient and really willing to give me feedback as well. Uh, we developed um, another prototype. And so then they were different pleats and they, now we have adjustable nose pieces because I found that for myself, my glasses were fogging up constantly. And then we also have ones that have adjustable ear bands because we're finding not everybody's face obviously is the same structure. So it's, it's just a constant, a constant improvement. And if it wasn't for all of these people giving me awesome feedback and I don't, I don't know, it's just such an honor, really. Wonderful. So we're going to, where can, if people want to buy these masks, where can they find you? For right now, we are on Facebook at facebook.com slash masks. And you can find us on Instagram at clipomasks as well. I also have an e-commerce site that will launch at some point before the end of the year, but that's not up and running yet. So for now, uh, that just on the two social sites, and then they can email clipomasks at gmail.com with any questions too. The full range of patterns is on the Facebook page and they do change frequently. So we have a lot of people that will come in and, and, and buy up a pattern and then wait for the next release, which is kind of fun too. Okay, incredible. Well, we're going to put all that up on the video that goes out on social. And thanks so much for joining me today, Alex. So happy. Thank you so much for having me.
More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. Is it appreciation or appropriation? That's what we're discussing next. Amy Willier is Cree First Nations from Sucker Creek Reserve, Alberta, and now resides in Calgary, Alberta. Amy has spent her life under the tutelage of her mother, Yvonne Jobin. She has learned how to tan hides, do beadwork, and many other ancient art forms. She has taken the traditional arts and brought them into the future with her artistic creativity. She specializes in beadwork, leatherwork, painting, and fish scale art. She is the co-owner and sales manager at Moonstone Creation and loves to teach others about her culture when they come into the gallery. Welcome to the show, Amy. Thank you for having me. So, I mean, I think the big question is, you know, uh, especially this summer, I think uh, there is a general awareness happening, which is great. And, and I think the question is, what is the difference between appreciation and appropriation? Um, and what do we need to look for to make sure that we are not um, appropriating from a culture? Absolutely. So an appreciation is where you're buying um, something from a native artist and wearing it and, and really enjoying it, you know, and you can say, I bought it from this person or in the case of my store, Moonstone Creation Native Gallery and Gift Shop, you can say, I bought it from Moonstone Creation and people will know that it's actually authentic. Um, the appropriation comes in and in, in, um, in where someone is mass producing our traditional designs and making a profit off it. So there's other companies that, um, and it's quite a thing right now is because you can say it's indigenous made and it doesn't mean that it's indigenous made to North America. So there's a lot of people in third world countries such as Ecuador, Guatemala, that they're taking our traditional beadwork designs and, and um, replicating them. And then other companies are bringing them in here into Canada and selling it and saying it's indigenous made. So it's, um, it's one of my passions is to talk about appreciation and appropriation. So it's really important then as a consumer to look beyond sort of uh, just the, you know, the love of maybe the product and to see who made it. And I'm, you know, it, you got me thinking about this uh, before we, we started this interview. Uh, you know, I, I adore moccasins. They're like for slippers around the house. That's all I wear are moccasins. And, and you generally have to go get a pair every few years. I recently found a pair, you know, I, I, I would go get them at the same place every year. They were, they were native made. And then I noticed that the pair I was looking at was made in China this time. Yeah. So yeah. That got so me thinking though, what, but maybe the owner of the company though wants them made there. So how do I work through all of that? Yeah, it, it can be quite tricky. And unfortunately with like uh, Canadian government laws, you can say if 50% of the production costs are in Canada, you can say it's Canadian made. Right. And so, um, so for instance, if like it costs more to put pom-poms on a pair of mukluks because you're paying higher wages than you are getting them made in Vietnam or wherever you're getting them made, um, you can say it's made in Canada. And so you really, um, kind of have to do your due diligence. But, um, for us in my store, um, there is, we have a native tan moose hide, which is what we call. And so it has a distinct smell of campfire. And that's the same process that we've been preparing leather for thousands of years. And so when people come into my store, other native people, they're like, like it's the real deal. And so it's kind of like, it's definitely the sniff test, but not all moccasins are made like that. And we, um, for ourselves, we really ensure that the company is native made. They're made in, uh, if we're buying more commercialized moccasins or else they have to be native made. So it's very, important to me to make sure that our people are getting paid properly. Um, a lot of uh, native people on reserve don't have clean water to drink, you know, or there's such uh, huge um, poverty issues and different things like that. And so we just really want to ensure that our native people are getting paid properly for their work. 
Yeah, and I think that's important. You know, this week there was there was a uh, kerfuffle on the internet about uh, Adele. I don't know if you saw it. Uh, she was at a festival for Jamaica, and people were accusing her of appropriation, but she was invited by them. So it was really appreciation. Um, and I think that it's important to, to know the difference um, and so that we are supporting, especially I think in Canada, uh, you know, for Native artists that we are, um, you know, supporting in Canada because yes, the, the, the jewelry is beautiful, but if it didn't come, if you're not supporting a Canadian artist, you know, you're not really, you're not really doing any good. So tell me, no. about, tell me about your experience educating consumers who come into your story. Are they surprised sometimes to hear when you, when you share your, the stories about the, the um, background? Um, yes, but um, I think because of the TRCU, that's the truth and reconciliation with the residential schools and people knowing more about Can Canada's true history and really understanding that what we went through, that they're more willing to be a part of it, you know, to be a part of the discussion and part of that um, coming together in, in a way. And so a lot of times what I do is I teach. I teach people how to do beadwork. And that's actually um, something I'm doing right now is like this little orange beaded t-shirt project. And a part of the brooch is a part of uh, remembering all the students that went to residential school. Now I've made this as an online project and I'm not saying you only can be native in order for me, you to learn beadwork. Because once you learn beadwork, you have a greater appreciation for it. And maybe you're more willing to buy the beadwork from native people because you've learned how and you're like, yep, yeah, nope, not going to do it. <laughs> and or you just really understand that, you know, there's value and time into creating something with your own hands instead of being like in a factory. And I think another part of it is we have to understand our global footprint in the in consumerism. You know, if we're um, buying things that are getting shipped from, you know, China, Vietnam, Ecuador, what is our global footprint in what we're creating here? You know, like how much can I keep local? How much can I keep in Canada made? You know, and that's really, I think, is what we have to think of as consumers moving forward in this time. Like, how can I support my community? Yeah, I think that's an excellent point uh, about, you know, the, the shipping of these products, you know, from overseas and the damage that's being caused, getting that here. Uh, yeah. when it's so much more impactful when you're buying it locally. So tell me about what's, what's you know, what are your biggest sellers as we head into fall right now? Uh, what are people looking at? People are always looking at earrings, but we had shifted gears and made um, face masks with native fabric design. So that's always been a popular all summer long, uh, but also uh, a lot of clothing and winter wear, different, um, the beginning of thought towards less summer clothes, but I've really focused on indigenous fashion this past while with my social media. And so just really um, wearing indigenous art, but also like, making sure that it's native made fabrics or uh, the artists are getting paid royalties for what they're creating. Yeah. Okay. And so, you know, if somebody's out, you know, and they're coming to your store and they buy something on the street and they get accused of appropriation, uh, it's important for them to know that, you know, to, to know where they bought it so they can tell people, no, this is, this is actually. Yeah. Appropriation, yeah. Right? I bought these earrings from, I bought this ring from, you know, like, and you know, you can say who the artist was, which is so cool. Like you have a tie to someone who created. And as native people, when we create something, it's not just for the profit. Like a lot of times it's more of a ceremonial thing or where you're leading and thinking of good things. Like we say, we don't create when we're in a bad mood or you're angry because you're putting that energy into what you're creating. So, you know, it's more of a spiritual practice in a lot of ways. So when we create something or like, say I make a drum, I don't necessarily know who it's going to in my store. It could be going to anyone, but you know, when I'm creating that and being in ceremony and mindful of what I'm creating, I'm praying for whoever gets the drum that it brings them healing. Yeah. And I really like that. I really like how that, you know, there's the intention of it being made and then there's the intention when you're buying it, it really does go full circle and it, it, that's actually a much better way of consuming products. So if people want to find you, where can they find you online? There's a few ways. So uh, moonstonecreation.ca is my website and you can buy and shop on there. And it's always shifting and changing because we're always creating something new. Uh, then you can come into store in uh, Calgary and that's on the website too. We're also on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. So Twitter and Instagram is moonstonecree. 
and Facebook is Moonstone Creation Native Gallery and Gift Shop. Okay, wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me today, Amy. Joining me now for Saturday Night at the Movies is Anne Brody. And Anne, update me on TIFF. What's going on? Holy smokes. Well, there was an article in The Hollywood Reporter uh, saying that people are fearing a super spreader um, because masks aren't being made aren't being made are being made optional in theaters. So that's a bit of a problem. So there's quite a bit of uh, controversy flying around about that. That's definitely a concern. And I'm surprised <laughs> that it's not mandatory. I know. That's not a city rule or a TIF rule. That's a theater rule. And that I have a problem with the theaters right now for that. Um, anyway, there's so much coming up. We are waiting and waiting to see our screeners. We've only seen uh, one so far, and it's a real corker. It's called The New Corporation, the Unfortunately Necessary Sequel, sequel to a film that was out in the 2000s about corporate government. Government. I mean, the corporations have taken over the governments. It feels like that some days. Yeah, well, here's your proof. It's absolutely jaw-dropping. Um, this scene won't go out of my mind where they're, they're tearing down the Amazon um, in Africa to put up, you know, whatever, cities, towns, buildings. And there's this red gorilla running with men running after it with rifles because nobody cares about the natural world. And uh, what they did was something really interesting. They made up a 10-point checklist of psychopathy, put it on, the, on corporate America, and it hit every single one. <laughs> you know, Anne, that's, that's funny you should mention that because I've actually heard that argument before, that if corporations were held to that standard, they would all be sociopaths or psychopaths uh, in how they operate. Yeah. Um, so, it, so that's a documentary. Uh, what else do, yeah, is that have you seen or, or would you recommend for TIFF? I'm really excited about something called Holler. It doesn't sound like much, but it's a, a feature film from Nicole Regal, um, who was a former Marine. And it's about a young girl in Appalachia. She's told by her guidance counselor that she'll never go to college because of her circumstances and no money. So she decides to make her own money. She goes work, to work in a scrapyard. It is really beautiful to look at. Uh, based on what I've seen so far. And also Wolf Walkers is animated. Um, that looks fantastic. It's from Apple. Um, but in theaters right now is Broken Hearts Gallery, which is about a girl who has a really bad breakup. <laughs> I, ha I have to tell you, I, the trailer I, was <laughs> delightful. It was so entertaining. Yeah. And Witty, it was like right? just the thing to... Um, that we need right now to lift our spirits. Yeah. It looked really good. And so yes. that's in theaters? It's in theaters and it was shot in Toronto. Okay, excellent. I want to talk about the Helen Reddy film, I Am Woman. Uh, I had no clue that she came to, us, to New York from Australia with $230 and a, and a little girl to find her fortune in music. It doesn't seem very smart. And then, of course, we all know she went on to become uh, one of the biggest stars, the biggest pop stars of her era, and her song, I Am Woman, is a feminist uh, tradition. And she's credited with being one of the uh, second wave feminist activists. And it's a really interesting film. It's Australian made. Um, and, you know, I'd always heard about Jeff Wald that she was married to. And I thought, well, why do people talk about him? I never bothered to look him up. What a jerk. Holy cow. But he... I watched the trailer yes. with interest because I remember the song, obviously. Um, you know, it's, it's a the classic, iconic feminist anthem, really. Uh, you got it. But I didn't know the story behind her. And she seems quite tenacious. So it's, it really does seem like a really um, great story of, of you know, flying yeah. your way to the top and holding on to your <laughs> principles as well. Holding on to your principles, this little slight woman with the, you know, this little, men tried to walk all over her all the time. And I guess word spread after a while and her success was just unstoppable. Um, 
And Tilda Cobham Hervey, who I've never seen before, plays Reddy. The only thing is that she is, she is so wispy, and this is not how I remember Helen Reddy. Uh, I remember Helen as being tough and forward and kind of in your face, not this sort of will-o'-the-wisp type of character, but that doesn't spoil my enjoyment of the song and her music. So Okay. We'll so what else do you got then for us? We got, we got about okay. a minute left here. So what do you got? Yeah. HBO Max has Raised by Wolves, which is produced by Ridley Scott. Fascinating series, sci-fi. Life on another planet when androids are raising human children. And of course, they face threats from all over the place. But androids, as you know, have no feelings. They just barrel through. Uh, it's quite horrific. Um, and then more humans come to the planet and everything is thrown into... Total Chaos, Travis Fimmel's in it. You're going to like him. <laughs> I think you're starting to sense that I have a type. And anyway, there's so, it, there's so much flair and style and ooh, just beauty in this, in this series. So Okay, quick. So you've got all of this then up on whatshesaid.com yep. um, in a blog and uh, with all of the trailers and your, obviously your reviews. So everybody yes. can go check them out there. Great. Happy tip, everybody. Thanks for joining me today, Anne. You Stick around. More What She Said with Candace Sampson coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. Want to be a better boss? My next guest has been called an architect of success, possessing an impressive understanding of business. A member of the Forbes Business Council, she has found a passion for impactful leadership, sustainable growth, and the financial aspects of business. She is the chief operating officer of a remote software company, has managed teams of 40 plus members, and been a solopreneur. Through her company, Lexantis, Jocelyn Moore Nurse guides entrepreneurs and leaders to master the essentials of leadership, growth, and profitability. Welcome to the show, Jocelyn. Thank you so much, Candice. I really appreciate it. So I feel like I flubbed the name of your company. So please re say that again. It's okay. It's Luxentis. I made it up. So nobody really knows how to, how to pronounce it. <laughs> I, 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 you know, every time I'm doing these intros, I swear it's my biggest, my biggest stress is messing up people's names or saying their company wrong. Uh, and inevitably I do that. But let's talk about this article you wrote for yeah. Forbes because uh, I read it with keen interest because you wrote an article mm -hmm. that was called Five Differences Between a boss leader and a bossy leader. And I found that very interesting. So why don't we jump into what those differences are? Yeah, absolutely. Actually, the reason I wrote it is because I kept hearing, especially from women, that they were afraid to embrace the leader within themselves. You know, they were always like, oh, but if I show up as being the strong person, if I tell people what to do, they're going to think I'm bossy. I'm like, no, it's, there's a difference between being just bossy and just being what I called a boss leader, like somebody who's in charge. Right. So one of the main things is uh, conflict. And again, I see this mostly in women leaders, that they're afraid to embrace conflict, that they think that if they disagree with the team that, oh, the team's going to think I'm not a good leader, that I'm not listening to them. But it's all in the way that we manage that conflict. And as leaders, we're the ones who set the tone. We're the ones who show how to manage that conflict. So if a team member disagrees or something, it's not about, well, my idea versus your idea. It's more about, oh, really? Okay, so you have this idea. You have this perspective. It's different than what I was thinking about, but tell me more about that. Why do you think that your idea is going to work? Um, how do you see it being implemented? I think we feel it's, it's, it's a highly charged situation, but when mm -hmm. really it could really just be a learning experience for both parties. Absolutely. And sometimes it does get heated and it's okay as long as, you know, because we get passionate about our ideas or sometimes we really think that 
if we don't do this thing, it's going to sink the business. So we get really passionate about explaining it. But it's just about digging into, okay, what are the reasons behind it? Not taking it personally, being like, okay, this person isn't just disagreeing with me because they think my idea is stupid. They just see something differently. Let's talk about it openly. Let's be rational about it. Let's present facts. And it's about digging into that. Okay. All right. And so what's another difference then? Well, one of the other things would be uh, resisting the um, urge to overhaul everything. And I see that especially new leaders. So new leaders somehow, I guess maybe they, they might have a little bit of imposter syndrome. They might be afraid that if I don't have all the answers all the time, it means that I'm a bad leader. Well, no, that's not the case. That's why we have a team. That's the promise of a team, right? That we're going to have all these people, that they're going to come together and that they're going to help us. So it's not being afraid that, hey, if your team member has a better idea than you, it's okay. Don't just overhaul everything they do. Let's say they write out this proposal and you read it. And you're like, well, I would have done it differently. Okay, just because you would have done it differently doesn't mean it's bad. And it doesn't mean that, the, you know, just because the, the uh, team member on, on your team has a better idea that you're a terrible leader, because that's actually the role of the leader, right? To draw out the best in people to get all the best ideas. So we have time for one more uh, tip. And, yeah. I, and I thought maybe we would talk about the praise one because it actually reminded me of a course I did with, with through Dale Carnegie years and years ago. And I think it's one of the best tips out there. And okay. that is uh, to, to what? To give praise? Yeah, praise quickly and honestly. And um, the really important part in there is the honestly part. Because uh, if you start giving praise just, just for the sake of giving praise, because it looks good and as a manager, I should give praise, then um, people are going to see through that. And when you do praise, then they're going to be like, oh, yeah, that's just because she's just doing that because she's, she's supposed to do that as a manager. But it's to really train yourself as a leader to look for the good. Because we're often trained to, okay, what could we improve? What could we improve? But how about looking at, no, you know what? You did a really great job in this. And that's part of building your, the, like the confidence of the people in your team. Yeah, because people can sense your sincerity. And, exactly. And when they trust that what you're saying is honest and you're giving them honest feedback and praise, uh, that just makes your team stronger, which in turn makes you a stronger leader. Absolutely. Right. It's, it's totally full circle. So if people want to yeah. get all of these tips then, uh, where can they find it? Well, they can find uh, me on my website, obviously, luxentus.com, and that's L-O-X-E-N-T-U-S.com. And I'm a lot on LinkedIn. I'm just now branching out into Instagram and Facebook, so there's not a lot there, but I'm, uh, I'm a lot on uh, LinkedIn. I like to spend a lot of time talking with people, sharing good information, and again, you know, just my website or LinkedIn. Okay, wonderful. Well, we'll put those links up on the video that goes out on social. Thank you so much for joining me today, Jocelyn. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Have a great day. That's it for What She Said for this week. Stay up to date with our newsletter by signing up at whatshesaidradio.com and be sure to follow on social at What She Said Talk on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for videos of these interviews and more. Finally, be sure to subscribe to What She Said with Candace Sampson on Apple and Spotify for extended podcasts. I'll be back next week with more What She Said on 105.9 The Region. You're gonna miss me by my walk. You're gonna miss me by my talk. Oh, you're gonna miss me when I'm gone. Previous episodes of What She Said on 1059theregion.com. I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer. And we are the hosts of Writing Class Radio, a podcast, but we are so much more. We have writing classes. So if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community, write to a prompt, get feedback, and get better, check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com. And listen to our podcasts wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com. 
I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. We all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all had. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast, heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from JeffWoodsRadio.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.